0: Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for allowing us to celebrate in this season the time that you sent your Son to to come down to this earth, to take on flesh and dwell among us, to be faced with every challenge, with every temptation that is common to man, and still to have lived a perfect life for us because he knew that he had to to be the perfect sacrifice for us. Thank you, Lord, for that. Please, Lord, guide our time today. Lord, this is your church and this is your word. It's, it's just a privilege to be able to be part of it. And I would just ask that you quiet all of our hearts and that you prepare us to hear a little bit more about you. Lord, there is so much of your character in these verses today. There is so much about you and your plans for us in these verses today. Please help us to, to see them, Lord. Please help us to embody them and embrace them. And Lord, please please just grow us in all the areas we need to grow. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, thank you, worship team. It is always so fun to sing the Christmas carols. It's uh, get the hymns out and do that. Thank you for... For choosing those for us today, there's some, so much depth and strength. And, and it's, it's the way it is with God's Word. There's, there's so much more. I mean, it's, it's astounding to me how many times you can read through something, how much time you might spend studying it and still how God will hit you in the head with like a two-by-four with something that you just missed, you just completely didn't see. And yet it's been there all along. His Word didn't change. He doesn't change. But our ability to understand changes and it's part of the maturation process of the Holy Spirit in us. And it's, it's such a beautiful thing. So last week we, we were talking about Abraham and we were talking about his obedience and, and the speed with which he responded and how he was sitting there in his tent in the heat of the day and he recognized that there were some men coming towards him. And it was an odd time of day for that. And, and rather than sitting there thinking, kind of a stupid thing to do, This is really a foolish time of day to be out walking around. Didn't you know that right now you should find yourself some shade? You should be sitting down relaxing. And it's only later when it starts to cool a little that you want to actually get up and go somewhere. But rather than doing that, he jumped up and he ran to them. And of course, it was the Lord. It was Jesus. So it's such a fun thing to be talking about Jesus in the flesh because this was Jesus in the flesh that met Abraham that was walking down the road with two angels, that ate the food that Abraham prepared. This was Christ in the flesh. And we celebrate Christmas of the little baby coming as Christ in the flesh. Well, he first came as himself. He didn't come as a little baby that grew up in the family. He came as himself, and he, w- and he met Abraham. And Abraham responded just perfectly, quickly, personally, and humbly, and, and, and he gave his very best. And that was the response that we, we should look at. But as I was studying the, the next part of chapter 18 this week, it just hit me like a two-by-four. You know, Jesus could have come from any direction. He didn't need to come from in front of Abraham. Abraham. He could have come around behind, tapped him on the shoulder. He could have just appeared next to him. But he set this whole thing up. It is such a beautiful picture because you see, there were a couple of things that we know that Abraham and Sarah needed to learn from. And we talked about Sarah last week and how, how in, at the end she laughed to herself and how, how God gently and graciously corrected her. And said, why did she laugh? Is anything too much for me? And of course, her response was, I'm so sorry for laughing. I shouldn't have done it. No, no, I didn't laugh. He said, oh, you did. And that was it. He stopped. It was a gentle rebuke. But there was something for Abraham in this too that I completely missed last week. Completely. It just completely escaped me. And the concept here was that I got the part where Abraham needed to be responsible for Sarah, and, and that was a good thing, but what I missed was the fact that Christ set Abraham up to draw close to him because he needed him for something really important. This was to be a life-changing experience for Abraham. This was to be something where we were going to now see Father Abraham. Abraham as he was starting to mature into the role that he needed to play. It is so fun for me when God just says, you missed that. Man, how long did you read this? I put it before you a hundred times and you completely blew it. But he didn't, he didn't keep it from me this time. So that's the cool part, and, and we get that. So, so now we're going to move on. So what we know is that Abraham responded quickly. He responded with his best. He responded personally. And, and, and he, he learned that he needed to take some responsibility for his wife. And Sarah also learned that she was going to have to start taking some responsibility for her actions now. And, and Abraham was standing then with, with, the, with the Lord and the angels. And we're going to pick that up now in verse 16. So let's read, let's read verses 16. Through 19. Then the men rose up from there and looked down toward Sodom. And Abraham was walking with them to send them off. And the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do? Since Abraham will surely become a great and mighty nation, and in him all the nations of the earth will be blessed. For I have chosen him in order that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness. And justice, in order that the Lord may bring upon Abraham what he has spoken about him. A couple things we need to pick up. Abraham still being the perfect host. When Jesus and the angel started to walk off, he walked off with them. Now, we have, we've already studied a couple people where in the Bible that it refers to them as they walked with the Lord, or the Lord walked with them, right? Enoch and Noah Genesis 5.22 for Enoch and and Genesis 6.9 for Noah, that they walked with God. And we talked then about how amazing that would be to have the opportunity to walk with God, to be just side by side, walking down this path. And, and knowing the character of God by experiencing the character of God. And we talked about how beautiful that would be. And then we, we talked about the fact that we have had we have the opportunity to do that through his word. So we, we walk with him. We as believers talk about our walk. We talk about I'm doing well in my walk or I'm not doing well in my walk or I'm, I'm a long ways along in my walk or I'm very new in my walk. We, do it. we talk a lot about these things. But Abraham was doing it. He was walking with the Lord. So as the perfect host, he continued on. And the Lord stops. And he's talking to the angels now. And Abraham, presumably, cannot hear this. Because it would seem to be somewhat of a foolish question to be walking along the street with someone and say, Should I tell them about this? Well, you just did. So we have to assume that Abraham couldn't hear, but the fact that Christ was speaking with the angels or with himself on this. He said, should I? what should I do? I'm going to do something that's going to be very difficult for Abraham to understand. It's going to be very difficult for him to accept. But I really need Abraham to start being Father Abraham. I really need for him to start doing the right thing, and I have an opportunity for him to accomplish that. See, God had some pretty astounding expectations on Abraham. We know in verses 17 and 19, he says, "She says, shall I hide from him what I'm about to do? And 19, for I have chosen him. And in 18, he will surely become a great and mighty nation. I mean, he's going to command his children and his household after him. The whole concept here of command is to set up and to establish, to be prepared, to prepare his family for what's coming next. you see, the family of Abraham is going to go through a lot of challenges. We know that. We've had the opportunity to look through that. And we've read through that in the Old Testament. And we see how the family of Abraham, how they come to him, to the Lord. And they reside with the Lord and they, and they work with him and then how they walk away from him. Right? We see how the Israelites are, are forced into labor in Egypt and how they moan and they complain and they're groaning in the inner groaning of their heart. God hears them and He says, I'm going to take them out. He hears their, their request for Him. And then what do they say when they get out? And it's not as comfortable as it was in Egypt. It would be better if we were back making bricks. Than to be out here eating this horrible manna day after day. Where's the meat? Right? These guys are arguing, complaining. I'm thirsty. I'm tired. I'd rather go back and be in bondage and slavery. This whole thing, they'd forgot so quickly what they were trying to get away from. Well, we knew there were going to be lots of challenges. There's going to be this roller coaster up and down ride of the nation of Israel. And God was trying to start prepare Abraham to be the father to that. We know that that we need to be focused and and looking at what's going to happen to us and God provides these things, but he wants us to be he, he wants us to prepare people for it. So one of the things Dan talked about was, was proactive multiplication here and raising up more leaders for different ministries and in Romans 10 verses 12 15 through 15, it really dovetails nicely into that as well as what God was asking for Abraham to command his family. And it says, For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in the riches for all who, can, who will call on him. Whoever, for whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How will they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? And how will they preach unless they are sent? Just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. So we know that God had a plan for Abraham here. He said, I've chosen him and I'm expecting him to command his family. Now we know Abraham's not going to be the father physically of this monstrosity of a multitude. He's going to be the father of two. But so, so we're looking down the road further than just, just Isaac in this, in this concept. And we have to recognize that God's trying to prepare this, just as we're trying to prepare everybody, just as we should be constantly working and raising up our children and preparing them for the role that God's going to have for them. It's the same anticipation that Jesus had for Abraham as he was looking at this. I love the concept of the, I've chosen him. If you go to John chapter 15 it's just a beautiful picture of of looking at this and, and realizing that, you know, Abraham didn't serve God because Abraham had it all figured out. Abraham served God because God gave him an opportunity to serve him. He came down the path in front of him. He knew where Abraham would be sitting. He knew where he would be looking. He knew what he would be watching for. And he came there to make it easy for Abraham to respond In John 15, 15, it says, No longer do I call you slaves, for the slave does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all things that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. So this is what Christ was doing with Abraham here. It was his his friend. He's calling him friend. I'm not going to hide things from him. He's going to be a great nation. I've chosen him to do all these things. I decided on Abraham to move things forward. And it's a great opportunity for us to look at that. So God wanted Abraham to be involved. He set it up perfectly. Please come, Abraham. I'm going to give you the chance to serve me. And in the service, I'm going to allow you to be comfortable standing next to me so that when I come to you and say, I'm going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, I am going to completely obliterate them. There's a foundation for what needs to happen. And that's the intercession that Abraham needs to make for Sodom and Gomorrah. So we hear of God's plan now in verses 20 through 22. So he's decided that he's going to tell Abraham. But we know that he decided that actually before he came. Because that was the plan all along. These are the things that my mind can't comprehend about God. I just have to accept that. He knew he was going to say it. I don't know why he asked the question other than it helps us to learn and understand him a little bit better. So he says, And the Lord said, And the outcry of Sodom and Gomorrah is indeed great, and their sin is exceedingly grave. I will go down now and see if they have done entirely according to this outcry, which has come to me. And if not, I will know. Then the men turned away from there and they went towards Sodom while Abraham was still standing before the Lord. We know this has got to be tough. Because we know the character of God. The character of God desires that none should perish, but that all should bend their knee. We know that. We know that his heart is that everyone has an opportunity to come to him. But in this situation, we know that that the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah is exceeding. And, and when he uses those words to exceeding to something, that means beyond what you can possibly imagine. We know that in Genesis chapter 13, 13, we already knew there were problems, right? Because we knew the kings came down and they, they fought against the kings of the valley and they, they won and they took all the people, including Lot and his family, and, and Abraham went to go get them. And in 1313, it says, Now the men of Sodom were wicked exceedingly and sinners against the Lord. I mean, there's a couple of times when you hear Sodom, you typically hear some sort of amazing adjective before and bad afterwards. Right? So Sodom was an exceedingly bad group of guys and people. And when Pastor Chris gets into chapter 19 next week, it for me is almost unbelievable. It's almost unbelievable to see the type of people that that inhabited that city and and to wonder why in the world was Lot there. What was he thinking? What in the world was going through his mind? We know that the outcry is great. We know that the sin is so bad that Christ says, even though my heart is such that none would perish these guys are past the point of return. And I just have no other choice. I'm going to have to demolish them. And he says that to Abraham. Now Abraham knows the character of God. He's learning it more and more. And we start to see the understanding that he has in verses 23. So this is where Abraham becomes the leader he needs to be. This is where Abraham steps up. Do you realize that Abraham could right here have said, you know... I know Lot's down in Sodom. But for crying out loud, I rescued him once. How many times must I save him? He's the black sheep of the family. I think it's time to go ahead and let him burn. Right? It's just too much. How can you expect that much of me, Abraham, to continually go after and intercede before Lot? Well, Abraham's heart was such that that this was an opportunity for him. And so he he chose to take it. And we can learn a lot from Abraham in this. In verses 23 through 25, And Abraham came near and said, Will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there are 50 righteous within the city. Will you indeed sweep it away and not spare the place for the sake of 50 righteous who are in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing. To slay the righteous with the wicked, so that the righteous and the wicked are treated alike. Far be it from you, shall not the judge of all the earth deal justly? That's pretty impressive stuff before God. And, and I don't know that I'd have had that nerve. I don't know that if I'd have been Abraham, I'd have stood before God and, and said, You are righteous and holy. What you're describing doesn't fit that character of you. So we, we learn things about people's responses and we have to be careful. You see, I can read this in a way that makes it look like Abraham was in God's face, pointing his finger in his chest. What are you thinking? What are you doing here? But we know that's not the case. We know that that's not an effective way to deal with God. We know that that's not a good plan. When God just said, Their sin is exceedingly great, I'm going to completely demolish them, that's probably not a time to get in his face. Right? Now, what we know is Abraham's heart was what we see in verse 27. So it's important to realize this. And Abraham in verse 47 says, or 27 says, "Now behold, I have ventured to speak to the Lord, although I am but dust and ashes." So Abraham's heart is one that is contrite. You see, he is beseeching God and God's character here. He is not slandering God and God's character. He's not saying, "I thought you were a good and righteous God. How in the world can you think about doing this to this just in case there might be 50 righteous people in that city?" But we know that instead he came from a humble perspective. We knew we knew that, right? Because of the first part of chapter 18. He was humbly serving God. He ran back and forth. He did it quickly. And then he stood by while they ate. And he was prepared to respond to any other needs that they might have. So we know that his heart was humble. He walked away with the Lord because he was continuing to host him. And so we know that this man was starting from the right perspective. And this is something really good for us to learn from. You see, we're going to have all sorts of opportunities to, to gently correct people. In our lives, we're going to have all sorts of chances to come up alongside one another and say, you're not where you need to be with this. And we're going to have a choice in this and how we respond to them. You see, God asked for us to speak the truth in love. The truth is very important, but the truth in love is more valuable. It's more likely to get us somewhere. So take these words from Abraham and recognize that he was doing this humbly with the right attitude and the right heart. I think this is a beautiful picture of of Abraham drawing near to God. He, He came up, he came near and said. He didn't stay from a distance. It doesn't say he got up in his face. He drew near to, adjacent, up close to God, And asked in James four eight it says draw near to God and He will draw near to you cleanse your hands you sinners and purify your hearts you double minded draw near to Him and He will draw near to you this is a beautiful picture of intercession I in for me in the past reading through Genesis has been a lot about judgment I've seen the judgment I've seen. The Adam and Eve getting kicked out of the Garden of Eden. I've seen, I've seen Cain being exorcized I've seen the, the flood. And I've seen judgment. But I have to be honest with you. I, in this time around through Genesis, have seen more love from God than I ever thought existed there. There's just this richness of his grace and mercy as we come through this. And this opportunity to draw near, and, and he drew near. So he responded. This is what's beautiful about God. You see, he knew what he needed to do with Sodom and Gomorrah. And I really believe he already knew what was going to happen with Sodom and Gomorrah. But he gave Abraham a chance to come to him to intercess for the people of Sodom and Gomorrah. And yet, he responded so perfectly. Now, it's, it's almost unfair because he knows all the right answers, right? It's not like me when, when I try to help when our kids have some questions and they come with the right hearts and they ask. You know, sometimes I know, sometimes I don't know. Jesus always knows, so maybe that's not fair. But when Abraham asked about 58, Jesus knew two things very important. If there were 50, he would gladly keep the city. But there weren't. So it really didn't matter. But do you think that if there were 50, he would have still destroyed it? Absolutely not. We know looking at, at Jonah's time with Nineveh, this city was not as bad as Sodom and Gomorrah from everything I can tell, but they weren't very good. And he sent his prophet Jonah there, and Jonah wanted him gone, right? Jonah was on the other side of this fence. Jonah kept looking at it saying, come on. Come on, God, I'm going to, the fact is I'm going to get a front and center seat up here on this bluff so I can watch you destroy them. And I'm going to laugh and have fun. And, and they repented. And God didn't. So do you think that God would have saved the souls of Sodom if he thought there was a chance of repentance? Absolutely. I'm an example of that because he saved me. Because he knew there was a chance of repentance when I didn't see it. We're, when we claim him as our savior, we are examples of that. You see, my sin is no less egregious to the Lord than those of Sodom and Gomorrah. There's no difference. You can't point at ourselves and say, well, yeah, I, I did this, and, but that's, that's not nearly as bad as their sin. Sin is sin. Sin is separation from God and His holiness. It doesn't make any difference what the adjectives are before or after it. Sin is sin. See, we sometimes get stuck on this idea. Sodom and Gomorrah, they deserved it because they were really bad sinners. We all deserve it. What are the wages of sin? Death. It doesn't say in Romans the, the wages of sin like the Sodomites were doing, that's death. But the rest of you guys, well, it's like a slap on the hand. And for you, maybe it's just not a pat on the back because it was just a little tiny sin. No, the wages of sin, sin is not qualified, is death. We're all in the same boat here, guys. We just look at the people in Sodom and Gomorrah and say, that was really horrible. It was still enough to separate them from God, no different than our sin. So Abraham became an intercessor, and we know... that That is such a beautiful thing. And who is our intercessor? Right. So Abraham stood there with God and he intercessed for the people of Sodom and Gomorrah. Most likely for his family, Lot, but for any other potential righteous as well. Our intercessor stands in heaven at the right hand of the Father. And you know what? Every time we blow it, he's intercessing for us. The Lord and Savior, Romans eight thirty three and 34. Who brings a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died, yes, rather who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. This was a wonderful picture of what was to come with Christ, only he's, he's impeccable in his intercession for us. To, to be an intercessor, you have to know God and his character. You have to know him. How do you go before somebody you don't know and ask to save someone? So God op- opened the opportunity for Abraham to do that. To be intercessors, we must have compassionate hearts. We must really earnestly care. And we must have deep concern for the salvation of the lost, no matter what their sins may be. That's by, by Wiersbe. A beautiful quote. Read it again. Intercessors must have compassionate hearts and a deep concern for the salvation of the lost no matter what their sins may be. We are not gatekeepers. God doesn't ask for us to intercess for this person who's mostly clean and not this person who's mostly dirty. A little dirty is all dirty. right? It does, you, can't, you can't be a little bit in sin. You're a sinner or you're not a sinner. And these are the things that is important for us to look at. And so Abraham was asking, what would it look like, God, if there were 50? And the Lord said, if I find in Sodom 50 righteous within the city, then I will spare the whole place on their account. Now, why wouldn't he just move them out of the city and demolish it anyways? Because with 50... There's a chance. There's a chance. Maybe more will come to know the Lord. Maybe more will be saved through that. What about Lot? You know, this is an interesting spot. Now, I've wrestled with Lot. I still wrestle with Lot a bit. We're going to wrestle with Lot more, right? This is he's not a straightforward guy. But we know in Second Peter 2, verses 7 and 8, that he was a righteous man. Because in Peter he writes, And if he rescued the righteous Lot, so if God rescued righteous Lot, oppressed by the sensual conduct of unprivileged men, for by what he saw and heard that righteous man, while living among them, felt his righteous soul tormented day after day by their lawless deeds. So we know Lot was righteous. Why he stayed, I don't know. There's arguments that if he would have been doing his job, there would have been enough righteous people in Sodom. To save the city, but that he wasn't, I don't know. I wasn't there. I'm not there. But we know there weren't 50. And we know Abraham's pretty confident of that as well. Verses 27, again, just a reminder of the attitude we have towards God as we bring things to him. Not a shaking our fists, not a a finger in the chest, not an in-the-face kind of attitude, but rather one of humility. And Abraham replied, Now behold... I have ventured to speak to the Lord, although I am but dust and ashes. But suppose the 50 righteous are lacking five. Will you destroy the whole city because of five? And he said, I will not destroy it if I find 45. There's just a real humility and compassion with Abraham. He knows the right place before the Lord. He knows that it is not for him to stand up and, and yell at, argue with. But he also knows the true character of God and that God wants us to draw near to him. God actually wants us to ask him these tough questions because in asking him these difficult questions, we understand him. And he wants to reveal himself fully to us. He wants us to have an absolute and complete understanding of him. He doesn't desire for any of us to lack the least bit in understanding of who he is and what he does. And he wanted Abraham to come to him and ask this. So he set it up perfectly for him to do it. He made Abraham comfortable by allowing him to serve him. He made Abraham comfortable by eating. He doesn't need to eat here. There's no requirement for Jesus to eat of the goat and the bread and the drink of the milk. He doesn't need that. The angels don't need that. It's not as if it were a requirement. He could easily have said, You know, we don't need food. But instead, he allowed Abraham to draw closer to him and accepted his service. And he made it just perfect for Abraham to come and ask some difficult questions. In 29, Abraham spoke again. He spoke to him and yet again and said, Suppose 40 are found. And Christ responded, I won't do it on the count of 40. Verses 30 through 33 brings us to the end of the discussion. And Abraham said, "Oh Lord, oh may the Lord not be angry, and I shall speak. Suppose 30 are found there. And Jesus replied, I will not do it if I find 30. In 31, and he said, now behold, I have ventured to speak to the Lord. Suppose 20 are found there. And he said, I will not destroy it on account of the 20. Then he said, oh, may the Lord not be angry, and I shall speak only this once. Suppose 10 are found there. And he said, I will not destroy it on account of 10. How wonderfully patient God was with Abraham. You have to wonder... Right? You, you learn things in life and you go through things, and we all find things that we stumble with. And there are these things that you do and you try and you take it by a little step, and another little step, and another little step, and another little step. And finally, you figure out, you know what, I could have just gone from here to here. And that would have been so much easier, it would have saved me all the time. But we have to get to that point, don't we? I mean, we rarely ever are at a spot where we can go from this point to this point, the very beginning of never having done something before, to doing it perfectly well without some steps in between. And God was so gracious to Abraham. And he gave him those. I fully believe Abraham could have gone 50, 49, 48, 47. And you know, I believe the Lord would have been every bit as patient with him as he was with the number of steps he made here. That is the Lord and Savior we serve. This is Jesus who knew that he would die for our sins. Who could have said, come on, get down to it. What's the last number you want to get to here? You see, I don't think the numbers were important at all. That's what I finally came up with. I wrestled and wrestled with, why 10? Why did you go 50, 45, 40, 30, 20, and stop at 10? You knew likelihood was that there was Lot, his wife, his two daughters, and maybe the two soon-to-be sons-in-law. That's six, the best I can count. I can't find ten people in Lot's family no matter how many times I've tried. There are some very interesting uh, commentaries out there that talk about the fact that, well, no, he actually had two daughters that were married. And, and, and they had their husbands, and then he had two daughters, and they were engaged. And so that would make 10, but there's nowhere that I can find it. I'm not saying it's not there, but I can't come up with it. So I can't come up with 10 being this magical number that if God would have said 10, perfect. I saved Lot, his family, and all of Sodom. I really think God just gave Abraham a chance to come to a point where he recognized, you know what? He God has a plan and it's perfect and it's just right he is a just God I'm going to accept his will I don't need to go any further because I know the right things will be done and that I don't have to, to worry about that you know it's interesting in verse 33 and it says as soon as he had finished speaking to Abraham and that was at the end of I won't do it if there are 10 that was the end of the discussion he departed and Abraham returned to his place there was no, I just recounted, there were six. I meant six. Could we do six? No, they just, they went. There was no promise. Do you realize here that there was no promise at this point that God would save Lot and his family? Abraham interceded. He laid it out in front of the Lord. God was gracious and patient with him and allowed him multiple steps to get to the point of saying 10. It must have been clear at that point that that was the end and Abraham was accepting of that. And he walked back to his tent and the Lord moved on. There was no promise that Lot or any of his family would survive, but there was a perfect acceptance of God's will. Abraham said, okay, you heard me. I trust you. You know, it's... A number of things for us to look at here and, and understand in this, as, as this, this passage is closing out, and one is never underestimate a small number of believers anywhere. It never tells us how many people were in Sodom and Gomorrah, but it has to have been hundreds of thousands. I don't know. I'm just going to guess something like that. And the fact that 10 people would have been enough to save the city, never underestimate the power of a few believers in an area. That's the encouraging part. The part for us that's probably a little bit more challenging is to recognize that, you know what? Being faithful to God and sharing his good news with the people that we come in contact with gives him the opportunity to save the 10 people needed to save Sodom and Gomorrah. It's important you understand the, 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 the concept there. You notice I didn't say, we go out and save 10 people. We don't do that. I don't do that. I don't have the ability to do that. I have the ability to share the good news of Jesus Christ with people. That's what I get to do. I have the ability to share the wonderful good news. I have the the ability to share the characteristics of God and why you need him. But he only, he has the ability to save. But he needs us to be the ones sharing. He needs us to be the ones that go out there. Because you see, it's possible we could have read the story of Sodom that ended just like the story of Nineveh. We could have, had there been 10 righteous people. So what, what does that mean tomorrow? Right? What does that look like? These are wonderful things, and it, it, it can make you feel warm and fuzzy sometimes seeing these things. But what's that difference going to make in your life? What are you going to do tomorrow because of that? So I, I'd like you to I, a few questions for you to look at. in the the summary part here and, and one of those is what opportunities has God given you to draw closer to him? right? Recognize Abraham didn't set this up. Abraham did nothing other than do what he did every day in the heat of the day. He sat down in the tent and he looked down the road. God set up the ability for Abraham to draw closer. So where has he done that for you? What have the opportunities been for you? Have you taken advantage of those? Like Abraham did. Did you run for them? Did you serve those opportunities? Or not? Which ones have you taken advantage of? See, I firmly believe that God has, gives us multiple opportunities on a daily basis to draw near to Him. Not multiple opportunities over a lifetime. Multiple opportunities on a daily basis. All the time he's given us opportunities to do that. And sometimes we draw near to him when we're serving people he needs served. Sometimes we draw close to him when somebody has a need or somebody has a worry or somebody has a concern. And, and we go up to them and we draw near to them and we we become God to them in our service to them. There's all sorts of chances for them. All sorts of opportunities to do that. And they're, they're right there in front of you. Be looking. right? Abraham wasn't sleeping. The only thing Abraham did to make this work was keep his eyes open. He was watching down the road. Short of that, he had nothing, no part of making this work. He only responded to everything. So keep your eyes open. When you do the things that you regularly do, recognize God may use you right at that moment because that's a predictable time for you to be available for someone. Never underestimate what you might do with a few words of encouragement, with a little bit of service towards somebody. You can make a difference in somebody's life. You can have an opportunity to change someone. Or for someone to be changed would be more appropriate. Who are you being an intercessor for? If there had been 10 righteous people in Sodom, God would have spared them because Abraham took the time to ask him for it. Abraham could have said, I've done the math, I got four, maybe six. It's not going to be 10, but he stopped at 10. But Abraham made the effort for the people of Sodom. Now, these, are the, these are people who were never good to him. Remember when he went and saved them and saved Lot? There's no real evidence that they were grateful. In fact, as the king came out and, and made some demands on him. Right? The king of Sodom came out and met Abraham and said, you take the stuff I want the people. You really don't deserve anything. You ran and hid in the tar pits, man. You deserve nothing. We know that the people of Sodom weren't the greatest people, and they had already once been an issue and a problem to Abraham, but that didn't stop him from intercessing. There's no one out there that hasn't sinned, there's no one out there that doesn't need intercession. Keep your eyes open. Look for opportunities to draw near to God and never forget the power of the prayer of a righteous man and be looking for opportunities to intercess for people. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for this message. Thank you for this opportunity to study how you first came to Abraham on the road when you knew that there was some things that he was going to have to do and you set him up to succeed. Lord, I firmly believe that you are constantly working out there to set us up to be successful in furthering your kingdom. Would you help us to do that even more? Lord, would you make it so clear to us like you did to Abraham of what your heart was that that we feel free to intercess before you? Lord there's so many who desperately need you. There's so many just like us that need your salvation. Lord help us not to look at them and their sin as something that's so grievous that you couldn't possibly save them. Because we know that there's nothing that you can't overlook if one repents and accepts the reality of Jesus Christ and his death on the cross. So Lord, as we go forward today, I just ask that uh, you would keep our focus on you and opportunities that you provide. I'm so excited to see the the play this after or the, the uh, special this afternoon, and I look so forward to the meal that you've provided for us through all the hard effort of everyone that uh, that has prepared it. And I just ask that you would bless that to our use, Lord. That you would bless that food and that you would bless the time of fellowship together, and that. Lord, you would be raised up, glorified, and encouraged uh, by us in everything that we do. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.